Hey there, it is Unleashed Barrier Sports Talk with me, John Lund from KNBR Radio in San Francisco. We are going to cover everything, a recap for January 4th, 2022, an update on DeMar Hamlin. Good news, bad news, 49ers update. I got three things that you got to know about the 49ers. We haven't talked a ton about the Warriors, but I told you I'd be the violin player on the Titanic, and they are coming back. Speaking of comebacks, Clay Thompson with 54. We've got to review that as well. Plus, I got some notes for you. Let's get to it. Let's go. What's happening? Hey there. John Lund, KMBR Radio in San Francisco. Unleashed, Barry, a sports talk. Talking all about the Bay, but we don't just keep it in the Bay. we got to get you an update on DeMar Hamlin. We always get you the big stories that are happening. And, of course, there's Warriors news. People were panicking and maybe not so much anymore. And I'll give you an explanation of what's going on in the NBA and why it's good news for the Warriors. Why Clay Thompson returning is great news for the Warriors, and they still don't have a lot of guys back. That guy, Steph Curry, that you saw jumping around. We'll get into that conversation as well. A few things about the 49ers, as I told you. And we got a couple other things that we got to update you on. We will update you on uh, DeMar Hamlin. Uh, first and foremost, we'll do that. And we got a couple of notes at the end, one on Brian Sabian, one on Jim Harbaugh. So we got a ton of stuff to get to today. And the way that the show works, whether you're watching on the YouTube channel, thank you. Just all you have to do if you're listening on the podcast, uh, make sure you subscribe. Thank you for listening. Just subscribe or if you get your favorite podcast, whether that's Spotify, Apple, etc. Uh, the YouTube channel is there. All you have to do is search Unleashed, Barry, a sports talk, or John Lund, or some combination of that. And please subscribe on the YouTube channel. And that's cool because I put up graphics and sound and all sorts of things and videos during the podcast and show. So the podcast is cool, and I'm glad that you're listening, and I want you to take it with you. If you get a chance, pop on the YouTube channel. You can see my ugly mug, which is a bonus for you. You'll feel better about yourself, and uh, you'll be able to see some of the graphics and the other things. And I put up shorts. We're going to do – oh, by the way, I want to mention, every Wednesday last week I was off, but uh, back now that we're starting in 2023, I love to do the uh, live chats. We do them every Wednesday. I normally do them at 6. My son's birthday was January 3rd, yesterday, and so I've, I still owe him something, so we got to go out tomorrow. But I'll do the live chat at 7 o'clock on the YouTube channel. Just uh, search Unleashed Various Sports Talk John Lund, and you'll get it. And uh, then we can interact. We can talk about anything that you want, ask questions, interact, talk, have a little fun, uh, talk sports, whatever it is, holidays, et cetera, et cetera. I still haven't told my story about uh, Vegas and how crazy that was, and not only just Vegas because Vegas is crazy, but getting to Vegas, getting to the game, uh, showing my son you know, press boxes and cool stuff like that. And for a 19-year-old man, he was going crazy, and it made me – Extremely happy. So that's what's going on right now. Make sure that uh, you interact with the show any old time at John Lund Radio. You can hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, put the comments on the comments section here on the YouTube channel. We can chat there as well. And I'll get back to all the comments and I'll use the best ones on the show itself. And then my uh, day job, KMBR Radio, KMBR.com, KMBR 680 if you're in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. All you have to do is go to KMBR.com. You can stream us there as well. So any of those things with the voice of the 49ers from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. on KNBR. I think that covers it. Let's get today's big leadoff story, an update on DeMar Hamlin. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Sustain some some damage to his lungs, and they're working to to try to um to try to remedy remedy that. And um, they got him on a ventilator to help with the breathing too, just to take some of the strain off his lungs so they can heal and recuperate. So yeah, it's just it's just a sad situation all the way around. Please give 
Our thoughts to your family and his mom. I heard she's been by his side the entire time. His mom and his dad. His dad's been there the whole time. They go to every single game, every practice, every camp. I mean, they've been there like every step of the way. So, I mean, together, like, they're heartbroken, but like collectively as a family, I mean, this has just been devastating. That is a, uh, it is a devastating story. It is uh, the story of uh, DeMar Hamlin. By now, you know the story. He had cardiac arrest uh, during Monday Night Football, Bills and uh, Bengals, and we can get into a lot of the different angles on it. I'm not going to go review everything because I'm sure by now this isn't just a sports story, as you know, and we talked about yesterday on the podcast and the YouTube channel. It's a human interest story. It's on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. It's uh, CNN and Fox and wherever you get your news. It's it's on the front of that. It's not just ESPN, and it's uh, far uh, transcended and outdistant sports at this time. Now the update is kind of mixed, still in critical condition. That was his uh, uncle who was speaking to uh, ESPN. Uh, still in critical condition. They are worried about the lungs now, as you heard him say. They had him actually flipped over uh, because they were worried about the lungs and the damage there. He is still sedated. Could be days or weeks before we know anything, according to experts. Not a fast process to know the full extent of the injuries or damage to the body, and so everybody's doing what they're doing, uh, being respectful, uh, giving out prayers to Hamlin and his family. The more we find out about this young man, uh, the more impressive he is. We had a sideline reporter on our show today on KNBR who was there uh, at the at the game on the sidelines and knows DeMar Hamlin, knows the family, knows the Bills, knows what's, what's happening, was uh, actually, I'm not going to say privy, but uh, unfortunately was on the field and could see in uh, the circle that the Bills players had created and uh, he told us the story of the Bills players getting over to the sideline and saying, we're going to create a circle so that nobody can get their phones and see in there from the crowd or anything because we don't want this young man who could uh, potentially pass away in a field to be seen. And so the Bills actually did that on purpose. He told us some interesting stories and insights into into the story about uh, DeMar Hamlin, what kind of a kid he is. And uh, he sounds like an amazing young man. And I know that his um, charities, the H Foundation, his charities are up over $4 million as we speak, and all those things are great. But – the only thing you worry about is the young man. Um, it is starting to trickle out that people are talking about when you make this game up and everything to me. Uh, in talking to Joe Staley, who's a former 49er, he was on my KMBR show, to talk, in talking to Lincoln Kennedy, a friend of mine who was an offensive lineman with the Raiders, who's the analyst for the Raiders. We had both those guys on today, and Lincoln Kennedy started to choke up, started to cry because he's got, not only with him playing, but he's got two sons that still play football as well, and it scares the hell out of him, and he Flat out said it. Scares the hell out of me that they're playing right now after seeing that kind of a thing. So he, he got choked up about it. And those are guys that have seen a lot of injuries on the field, but this isn't an injury. This is life and death. This isn't a blown out knee or an Achilles or some of the things that, you know, guys will gather around a guy. This was a guy that died on the field and had to be resuscitated. Actually had to be resuscitated twice is what the news stories say. So you know the um, the horrific nature of the injury and, and what we saw and what was reported. And, and we talked yesterday, if you want to go back to yesterday's podcast, I've been in similar situations, certainly not, as I said yesterday, to that level where millions of people were watching. Uh, but, you know, I've had to shift gears during radio shows over 25 years and death and and 9-11 I was on the air and during the pandemic I was in the air and people were dying every day and it's hard to know what tone. So we get into that old conversation yesterday so you can go back to the podcast itself. But I just wanted to give one positive update, which his uncle did say that uh, he was breathing better. Uh, yesterday he had to be on the ventilator at 100%. Now it's at 50%. So that's a step in the right direction. And again, I'm never going to say that I'm a doctor or know anything about it. We're going to have a cardiologist on our show tomorrow on KMBR to explain further what not only what happened, but what could be the short-term, long-term 
repercussions from something like this, the the issues moving forward for this young man. So we'll get some insight into that, and I'll share that tomorrow on the podcast and play some of that audio. But there's just really nothing that can be said in regards to the young man, and, and we don't know anything in terms of what is going to be his long-term future. Let me go back to the part about playing football. I would say, and I'll flash this up on the screen for you. This is from uh, the Zebras account. Let me make sure that I pop this up correctly and get the right attribution because in media, attribution is a big deal. But uh, And essentially what happens here, football Zebras, all the, uh, let me pop this up on the screen for you. All the league's governing documents and policy manuals state that a suspend, suspended game other than preseason must be played to its conclusion. The uh, commissioner can terminate a game, but only if it's completely care, clear of competitive issues, which is obviously not the case here. Maybe they make a maybe they make a an exception in this case because of the nature of it. Because I don't know, I was talking to a friend of mine about this today who knows the rules of the NFL better than me, and and I said, well, what are they could could they ever cancel the game? And he said he doesn't think so. Would they ever cancel the games coming up this weekend? He said I don't think so, but I think that it's based on how this young man is, how uh, Demar Hamlin is moving forward. If he's still in the condition that he is, there are a lot of reports. From here in San Francisco, I saw some from Philadelphia. John Clark, a guy I know, in, in a TV guy that I know in Philadelphia, a number of guys that I was texting with today said that, you know, the teams were devastated. The, the teams that they cover were pretty devastated by this whole thing, and they got to turn around and play football. And I realize, and it's rather callous to say, at some point they got to get this thing going. And we talked yesterday on the podcast about Jack Buck kind of ushered us back into baseball during 9-11 and um, kind of made it okay to go back and play baseball. And I know that's – very, very different than all the people dying in that tragedy is very different than this young man. And, but it has a similar effect on these guys in terms of wanting to get back on a football field and be mentally prepared to play uh, the game that they play. And, I, and if the NFL needs to cancel a week and push everything back, they're going to figure it out. Because two years ago, lest we forget that during the pandemic, they were moving games all over the place. And it wasn't the best kind of a situation. But you got to be sympathetic. I understand they have to run a business. I understand it's it's about finding a champion and all these kind of things. But if the players aren't ready to play, and that was the case on Monday where basically the coaches got together and said, said we're not playing. And I don't know what you want to believe in terms of were they given a five-minute warm-up. ESPN swears that they were, and they've got pretty good sources. Obviously, a number of different people locally. Mike Silver, uh, national writer and now writing for the Chronicle and covering the 49ers, said that he talked to enough people that said that, yeah, he heard that it was five minutes. Look, it's it, – it, if that was the case, it was the wrong move, clearly, but they had never really been through a whole a situation like this to defend the NFL in one small way. Uh, in the other way, I'm, I'm fairly appalled, and I don't get appalled easily, that Roger Goodell has said nothing. Um, just statements from the NFL. I mean, be a human being. Uh, do the right thing. I understand that there are lawyers involved probably telling him that, look, you don't want to say anything in a situation like this because if you act in an apologetic manner, then – you know, then the NFL would could be seen as liable and all these different things. Look, there's going to be a lawsuit anyway if this young man passes away. And whether you say anything or whether you say nothing, and I think Roger Goodell could be smart enough, given the position that he holds, to say something that would be right down the middle like any politician would, but be sympathetic, empathetic, and a human being to say, you know, I'm sorry that this happened. This is a horrible, you know, be a human being, get in front of a camera and say something. And the fact that he hasn't is horrible leadership to my, to my, in my opinion, I think that Adam Silver of the NBA commissioner would have done it. Certainly David Stern, the prior commissioner uh, would have done it. Uh, you go back to Pete Rozelle, the former NFL commissioner who was so great. He would have done it. I mean, I think a lot of the commissioners, uh, the great commissioners in our time, at least me, uh, the ones that I know growing up 
would have absolutely got in front of a camera and said the right thing and humanized the league because all these releases and things of whether you're going to play a game and not and all these all these different things and the releases that he said made made to the teams um, just don't hit home and you got to be human in this kind of a thing and you've got a bunch of PR people and the NFL is incredibly PR savvy and so to not have their leader get in front of a camera at least for a minute or two and and just make a statement that this is horrific and they're praying for him for Demar Hamlin and his family is completely unacceptable in my opinion at John Lund Radio. Hit me up and tell me what you think, but uh, it's it, it's not a good look for the for the league to this point. But uh, anyway, that is the latest on Demar Hamlin. Everybody praying, everybody hoping, and that is the latest on Demar Hamlin. As far as the games on the field, and we sure uh, will get to some of these things. But one of the things, and some of the things we didn't talk about on the show on KMBR because we were obviously so focused on Demar Hamlin and his health and uh, what is happening moving forward. We, of course, and I wouldn't say we neglected. It was just we chose to not talk as much. But Clay Thompson had 54. And I was thinking to myself with Clay and getting the win over the, the Hawks in the, in the way that they did. And it's amazing what they're doing at home versus the road. I've never seen anything like it. I don't think anybody's seen anything like it. But Clay gets 54. The one-year anniversary of his Achilles injury or the second of his two major injuries was November 22nd. So since that point, he's played in 18 games, is averaging 24.2 points per game. He has 11 20-point games. He has four 30-point games. He has two 40-plus point games and one 50-plus point game, and then a clunker five-pointer. So if you watch the game, which I'm a big proponent of, everybody wants to get into so many numbers nowadays, and I'm not an anti-number guy. I'm not a get-off-my-lawn guy when it comes to analytics. I embrace them absolutely. But it's not only what Clay is doing, the ball's going in the basket and the numbers are better offensively, which the Warriors need and will need moving forward. But it's also on the defensive side, you can see that he's playing much better. Now, will he ever be the guy that he was, the on-ball defender that he was, that helped the Warriors win all those championships? I doubt that. Um, he's solid now. He's not great, but he's solid. And then offensively, he's really in a rhythm shooting the basketball. And Clay can be hot and cold, but you can see that his cold, man, one five-point clunker over 18 games, versus all the 20, 30, 40, and then 50-point games, I would say officially that Clay Thompson is back, and that is a great sign for the Warriors, and that is obvious. 17-2 uh, and two at home, best in the NBA. 3-16 and 16 on the road, worst in the NBA. I've just never seen anything like it over this long of a period of time, and you're talking about 20 home games, 20 road games, to be exact, 19 and 19. But around 20 road games, so we're at the halfway point of the season just about, and yet they're 17-2 and two at home, basically can't lose all those comebacks that they've had over the last few games. They just can't win on the road. The optimistic part, and I'll show you the NBA standings in just a second, why you should be optimistic is, hasn't exactly been a great season to this point. Steph is injured. Wiggins is injured. Draymond's hot and cold and on and off the court. Uh, Jordan Poole certainly hasn't lived up to the contract yet. He'll have a 41-point game. Then he'll have a clunker and, and can't hit the broadside of a barn. Uh... So he hasn't been consistent. They don't know what the rotations still are. Jamichael Green has been great, and he's out. Jonathan Kaminga and James Wiseman, we still don't know what their roles are going to be, and Wiseman's coming up from Santa Cruz up and down, up and down, up and down. So a lot of things are completely unsettled. Who's Anthony Lamb? Uh, who's Ty Jerome? Those guys are playing major minutes. Sorry, the remnants of a cold is still happening. Those guys are playing major minutes, and you didn't even know who they were at the beginning of the season. I know Ty Jerome won a championship at Virginia, but you get my drift. They haven't exactly had a great start to the season, have the Warriors. And yet, let me flash the standings up on the screen for you, and you've seen them probably, but I want to reiterate this to you. 
and I want to explain to you what's going on in the NBA right now. So the Nuggets are, the, are at the top 24 and 13. Memphis 23 and 13. The Warriors just blew them out on Christmas, of course, at home. Uh, Pelicans just lost Zion Williamson for a few weeks, and he's always injured. This time it's a hammy, or again it's a hammy. 23 and 14. Mavs in the four at 22 and 16. Luka's going nuts. Sacramento won last night barely over Utah. They're 20 and 16. I don't believe in them long term. The Clippers are a problem if they can get healthy. They're 21 and 18. Blazers, the Warriors just bit them the other night, 20, 19 and 17. Phoenix is having problems, 20 and 18 in the eight. And there are the Warriors tied with the Suns at 20 and 18 in the nine. The thing that's important is, look right there. See the blue? Game's back. The Warriors would play in the play-in game, which, by the way, they could win a championship from there. Give me your thoughts on that. Comment or at John Lund Radio. But you look at them right there. I, I said at the beginning of the season, they won the championship last year from the three seed. And their road record is going to get better, and I don't care where they're sitting. They can win a championship from wherever. Just get them in the playoffs. But they're, they're two games out of the four seed where the Mavericks sit. Two games. After everything I just said, and you know those things I was just reminding you, they are four and a half behind the Nuggets, which isn't that many, five in the loss column, but two behind and two in the loss column behind the Mavericks who have 16 losses. So, and, and the Pelicans are going to drop a little bit. So they could be in the three seed again, and Steph's coming back and Wiggs is coming back and Clay's coming around and Draymond will get completely focused on this whole thing and hopefully Kaminga, who I think has earned more of a role, especially on the defensive end, will get healthy and start playing, and all of a sudden you're going, whoa. Uh, they've had a terrible start, as bad as you could have in terms of luck and injury and a, and, a, and a fight between Jordan Poole and Draymond Green in camp, and all of a sudden here they are, two games out of the four, uh, four seed. And at the beginning of the season, you thought if they could be in the three, four seed again, they can win a championship from there. Now what's happening is, is that if you look at, say, the Nuggets at 24 and 13, it's kind of – jockeyed between the Nuggets, Grizzlies, Pelicans at the top of the Western Conference. Everybody's trying to maximize where they are, what they're doing, their health and everything. And we all go back to analytics and, boy, that guy's tired. We've got to pull him out of a game for a little bit. Uh, Luka doesn't do that as much for the Mavericks because they just aren't anything without him. Christian Wood's solid, but outside of that, they really don't have a lot. But if you look at the Western Conference and you look at the standings, Everyone's trying to do that. Nobody's trying to run away and hide. Boston did that early in the season, and they're going through a slump right now. The Warriors already did that. They already won their 73 games and didn't win a championship, which taught them a lesson of, and I, I wasn't a proponent at the time of it, that they got burned out somehow. They didn't. If you go back and you look at the minutes that season, they didn't play a high amount of minutes. They weren't tired. There was a, a, a weird thing that happened in the finals. You should well know, and they... They lost. It was freaky. They were up 3-1. It was just it was a it was a fluky thing. I'm not saying, hey, Cleveland, you got the trophy. I give it to you. But it was a fluky thing. It wasn't because they were tired. It wasn't because they played too many minutes. So teams don't try to win 70 games anymore. It's about winning about what you need to, getting yourself slotted where you want to get slotted, and then everything lies where it lies come playoff time, and nobody's going to want to play the Warriors. And so I look at the Western Conference, the Nuggets, the Grizzlies, the Pelicans, 24-13, 23-14, yeah. Look at the Mavericks, 22-16. Maybe the Kings, they try to win as many as they can because they haven't been in the playoffs in so long. But do you think the Clippers at 21-18 and are panicking? They just want to get Kawhi and Paul George and everybody uh, healthy at the same time. That's all they care about. They don't care where they're seated because if if Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and everybody on that roster is healthy come playoff time, they're going to be a problem. Just like the Warriors, it doesn't matter. It's just about being healthy at the right time. That's why they're still not playing guys on back-to-backs, and they won't. 
It's about keeping guys' minutes down. It doesn't matter. They haven't panicked one time this year. They've been in major losing streaks. They've been on the road, and it's a back-to-back, and Clay's not playing. And certain guys are playing certain minutes, and certain guys are going to rest. It's just That's just the way they're going to do it because it's not about how many W's you, use, W's you get. It's about how healthy you are and how well you're playing at the right time. And all these teams in the NBA are doing the same thing. They're resting guys. they got the numbers to say when a guy is tired. Nobody's going out and trying to win 70 games. The Celtics were for a minute like, we'll show you. And I think that somebody got to him and goes, you don't have to do this because it's just a matter of where you get. Now, it'd be nice to be the one seed, but for the for the Warriors, what what is the streak that they've won in the playoffs on an opposing court, 30-something? I mean, they're going to win come playoff time on somebody's court. And if somebody underestimates them and looks at their road record, if it stays anywhere similar to where it is in the regular season, they're going to be greatly disappointed in the playoffs when the Warriors do what they do, and that is win on another team's court. So that's what's going on as far as the Warriors are concerned. Let me give you three things on the 49ers that I want to discuss with you as they approach Sunday's game against the Cardinals, and I'll be there on KNBR for pre-half and post, as I always am. But three things that got to me, and I, I didn't get an, uh, an opportunity, or three things I want to discuss that I didn't get an opportunity to on KMBR because, again, we were talking about DeMar Hamley and, Hamlin and rightfully so today. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, um, I believe, and you can go back and you can disagree with me on this, comment section on the YouTube channel and at John Lund Radio on Twitter or Instagram. I think it's the greatest in-season trade for the 49ers since Fred Dean. And Fred Dean helped him win a Super Bowl, so I can't say it's bigger or better than Fred Dean because – the 49ers won their first Super Bowl, not because of, but they wouldn't have gotten it without Fred Dean. So I think it's the greatest uh, in-season trade since that. And if they win the Super Bowl this year, it might be the greatest one even ahead of that. The team was averaging 18 points per game when Christian McCaffrey got here. Now they're at 25.8 points per game, which is seventh in the NFL. They're at 31.7 points per game in their last three. They're fifth in yards now at 369.1. They're fourth in time of possession, which matters to the 49ers greatly in the way that they play, tiring out the opponent, bashing the opponent, running at the opponent, playing tough defense. Time of possession fits largely into that. And they're at 29.2 rush attempts per game. Kyle's magic number is 30, where he wins over 80% of his games if he has 30-plus rushes. So all those numbers, and I'm, I told you, I, I, don't, I don't mind the numbers, uh, they illustrate how big of a deal Christian McCaffrey's been, and since he got here, they're 9-0. and And he only started out by being the NFC player of the, uh, of the week when he caught one, ran for one, and threw one against the Rams, and the gravitational pull even when he doesn't catch it. But I would even say better than that Rams game, he was that good in the Raiders game. And while all the hype is around Brock Purdy, and I understand it, and I'm not saying he's playing poorly because he's not, but he probably played his worst game against the Raiders, which is fine because those check marks that you keep checking off with him, win on the road against Seattle, do this, do that, they had drives they had to have when they were down 24-14 in Las Vegas, and I was at that game, and we'll talk later in the week on podcast just about the stadium and the and Niners versus Raiders and if it's a still a rivalry, and I got into that conversation with Lincoln Kennedy on KMBR today, and it was fascinating, so we'll do that in a later podcast. But without Christian McCaffrey, Brock Purdy isn't Brock Purdy. I mean, it's just, that's just a fact. We can go crazy and, you know, everything's purdy this and, and purdy that. But Christian McCaffrey is really the engine under the hood that is Brock Purdy. He's allowing the defense to get shifted. He's running the ball. He's finishing runs. He's running out of the slot. He's just doing all these things that are making Brock Purdy's job a lot easier, especially that Debo Samuel 
is not in the game. And now it looks like Elijah Mitchell could be back for the Arizona game. Debo could be back for the Arizona game. You know, now they get all the weapons back, and now they're going to be that much more difficult to stop. Without Christian McCaffrey, there is no way that Brock Purdy's playing the way he's playing. One other quick note to impress your friends with their number, I should say. The 49ers are now plus nine in the turnover margin, which is tied for Philly for number two behind Dallas at plus 11. When, again, before he came here, and I'm not saying he changed everything that way, but they just have started to get the turnovers, the interceptions. Brock Purdy has limited them. He did throw the one. It was a nice play by Meek Robertson when he was trying to hit George Kittle if he throws that ball a little further out there. I think Kittle probably makes the catch, but give Amik Robertson credit for making a nice play. But he's minimized the turnovers. They're not turning the ball over, making dumb mistakes, although they did have a lot of penalties in the Vegas game. And if they had lost, we probably would have talked about those mistakes, which they hadn't made for a while. So McCaffrey's one that you need to know about. Uh, Kyle Shanahan as coach of the year. Maybe you care about this, maybe you don't. But again, I was talking to a friend of mine about this today. We are texting back and forth. And Nick Sariani's name has been the one that's been thrown around, and I get it. I understand it. The Eagles have been the number one seed in the NFC for a long time. But if they get it, clearly Kyle is going to do it. And we'll go over scenarios in just a second. But a quick one is if the Eagles lose to the Giants, who have nothing to play for, and the if the if so if the Eagles lose to the Giants and the 49ers beat the Cardinals, which they should, then the 49ers will have won 10 in a row, and they'll be the number one seed in the NFC, you're telling me that Kyle Shanahan's not going to be the coach of the year under that scenario? And even if they're just the two seed, which if they just win against the Cardinals, doesn't matter what Minnesota does because Minnesota already lost to Green Bay. So the 49ers sit in the number two seed right now. Then they're the number two seed. And even if Sariano, uh, Nick Sariani has got the number one seed, I still think Kyle's the coach of the year because he had to deal with three different quarterbacks and all the injuries and all the issues and and the start that they had still would have won 10 games in a row. I still think he's coach of the year. I'm not sure that he will be, but I would think he would be. And then, of course, if they lose, and let me throw these scenarios, if they lose, then uh, they would be the three seed if Minnesota wins against the Bears. Let me get the uh, the chart up there for you. There you go. So Philly on top, 13-3. and three, They've got the uh, Giants. If the Eagles lose, Niners win. Niners are the number one seed. If the Niners win doesn't matter what anybody else does. If the Eagles win, Niners win. Eagles are the two seed, or excuse me, the Niners are the two seed. Minnesota can win whatever. They're still going to be the three seed. Now, if they win at the Bears, which they probably will, and the Niners lose to the Cardinals, which they probably won't, then the 49ers are the three seed. Tampa Bay is locked in the four seed at that lovely eight and eight. They're going to be eight, nine, nine, and eight. They're going to be the four seed. They're going to win their division, which gives them that. And you put the divisions, obviously, in the order of their record, so they can't move anywhere. And then if the Eagles, this is why the game is big for the Eagles. If the Eagles lose to the Giants and the Cowboys win to move from that five spot and go 13-4, and four, if they're tied, the Cowboys get the tiebreaker. So then the Dallas Cowboys would move up and win that division, and the Eagles would move all the way down to five, which is the first wild card position. And it's kind of like in 2019. Remember, it was Seattle and the Niners in Seattle. The winner won the division and was the one. The loser went down to the five. And so that's how big of a jump this could be. That's how big of a deal it is for Philadelphia. I'd imagine they're probably going to win. The Giants are locked in at 9-6-1. They could be 9-7-1. And then you got the Seahawks, Lions, and Packers. And that one's really easy. Um, What that one is, the Seahawks will play in the afternoon against the Rams at home. If they win that and the Packers lose, the Packers and the Lions are the Sunday night game. If uh, the Seahawks win and the Lions win then the Seahawks are in the playoffs. 
if the Seahawks win and the Packers win, then the Packers are in the playoffs. And if the Seahawks lose, then it's down to the Lions or the Packers to see who gets into the playoffs. And that's why they put that at Sunday night. The disadvantage for the Seahawks in that game is if they win, the Lions are out of the playoffs. And so they'll be playing that Sunday night against game against Green Bay with nothing to play for except for to spoil Green Bay's hopes. And so Seattle's kind of angry about that because they think that maybe if they win, then the Lions will have nothing to play for and they won't play very hard. So we'll see. Anyway, there you go. You care about what the Niners do. Niners win, Eagles lose, Niners number one. Eagles win, Niners win, Eagles number two. Vikings win, Niners lose, 49ers number three. So that's that's the scenario. I don't love playing Aaron Rodgers, by the way, because if they win and they're the two seed and the Eagles win, and then Green Bay beats the Lions, you're playing Aaron Rodgers in the first round, and they will have won, what, five, six games in a row? And, look, I, I understand because everybody sends me that every time I mention that. Well, they're, they're 4-0 against Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs. I understand that. But as you look at the bottom of those scenarios, I'd much rather play Geno Smith or Jared Goff and those teams than I would a red-hot Green Bay team with Aaron Rodgers. I get it that they're 4-0. I just still wouldn't want to play Aaron Rodgers in the first round of the playoffs. People say, well, are you afraid? I'm not afraid. It's not my game. I'm not afraid. It's just that doesn't it make logical sense to not want to play Brady, for example, even though his team is not very good? I still don't want to play Brady in the playoffs. I don't want to play Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs. I get it that they're 4-0 against him. I'm just simply saying that that's the scenario. So there you go. That is uh, what's going on as far as the 49ers. And two last notes on the podcast tonight as we get you caught up on everything in one fell swoop. After 30 years and three World Series titles, Brian Sabian, the former general manager of the Giants, is moving on to be the advisor to Brian Cashman, the general manager of the Yankees. That's where Brian Cash, or excuse me, that's where Brian Sabian got his start with the Yankees. His uh, contract expired on October 31st with the Giants. They both decided that they would go in different directions. Brian, in a statement, said that uh, he didn't get any kind of input that he really wanted to get. And look, if you were the general manager of a team that won three World Series, you would think you'd you get more input, but the Giants are going in one direction with the analytics and so forth, and Brian's an old-school guy, so it makes a lot of sense. So congratulations to Brian Sabian. On a personal note, he was probably the best, most uh, honest and blunt executive that I ever talked to because we talked to him when I was working with Tom Tolbert on KMBR. We had him on every week, and he would just tell you what was going on. <laughs> he was just very matter-of-fact about what was going on with the Giants. It was very refreshing, especially in today's day and age where nobody wants to say anything. So good luck to Brian Sabian. And one more, Jim Harbaugh, could he could come back to the NFL after the disappointing loss to TCU in the Final Four in the college football playoff as they were uh, ousted by TCU. And uh, there are reports today that Jim Harbaugh has already spoken with the Panthers, could speak to the Broncos, and Bruce Feldman, uh, among others, he's a college football insider, and a couple others have said that if Jim Harbaugh is offered a job in the NFL, he will take it. I don't think it's as simple as that. What are you paying me? He's got a pretty good position at Michigan. He's probably He could probably have a lifetime contract at Michigan, play quarterback at Michigan. But does he want another shot at the NFL where his brother is? He never won a, uh, a championship here, got close with the 49ers. If he feels like he could get close, I don't think the Panthers are close. Uh, I don't know that the Broncos are close, which that would be ironic. He would be coaching with Russell Wilson as his quarterback after many, many years planning against him in that rivalry of the 49ers and the Seahawks. But there is news that Jim Harbaugh could come back to the NFL, so let's keep an eye on that. And look, whether you like Jim Harbaugh, whether you hate Jim Harbaugh, the fact is everywhere Jim Harbaugh went and has gone in his career, he's won. And that's just that's the bottom line. So look, I don't want to see Jim Harbaugh in the NFC because 
the Panthers would get better or whatever team he would go to I think would get better. In the AFC, you want to go to the Broncos? That might be a lost cause. But look, University of San Diego, Stanford, here with the 49ers, going to Michigan, Jim Harbaugh wins. And that's just that's the bottom bottom line. He's a leader of men. He wore out his welcome. I can tell you the stories about the 49ers. But he's been successful wherever he's gone. So there you go. You are caught up on everything just about for January 4th, 2022. It is Unleashed Various Sports Talk with me, John Lund from KMBR Radio in San Francisco. Make sure that you tune into my uh, radio show today. We'll be down at uh, Levi Stadium, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. with the voice of the 49ers, Greg Papa, and Tim Ryan will be jumping in as well, the analyst for the uh, 49ers. Weekdays 10 to 2. Interact. Remember the comment section if you're watching on the YouTube channel or if you are listening on the podcast, please subscribe. Apple, Spotify, where you get your favorite podcast. And you can hit me up at John Lund Radio there on Instagram or Twitter. Live chat, 7 o'clock on Wednesday. Be there. It is Unleashed Various Sports Talk with me, John Lund, only on the Locked On Podcast Network.